once again with you at Exchange Church and to share in this time of gathering and teaching and ministry. You know, when we think about the things of the last days and we think of uh, where we are in the realm of all of these things, I guess uh, the natural human response can easily be one of something of fear or anxiety. But I want to tell you, first of all, that what we have this morning, if we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I saw on your screen, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Okay, at Exchange Church, it's all about Jesus. We have the victory. You know, somebody wisely said, I don't know who it was, but I've heard it several times. Somebody wisely said at some stage along the way, we have, I've read the last page, you know, and we have the wonderful privilege as Christians today of having the whole of the scripture, the inspired word of God, that we have the story from the beginning to the end. We know that God is in control. We know that he has a plan. He enacted that plan right from the beginning and right through to the very last page. And so the hope which is ours, brothers and sisters, is in Christ Jesus this morning. As we look at the scripture today, and in particular, I want to turn your attention to verse 33. And I love this because as, as Matthew writes here and as he records the words of Jesus, we find that, that the words come right down to the present day, the disciples, right there with Jesus. But it includes, I believe, you and I. So you also, you see, we don't get out of it. You're right there in the midst of it. Don't you love that, the way God does that, as he calls you into his family, as he calls you into his ministry? When you all see these things, know that it is near at the door. Some of you will be uh, young enough, old enough to remember the, the, uh, the children's story about Chicken Little. Anybody remember that? I hope I'm right. Sometimes I get a bit ancient, you know. Chicken Little on the farm when an acorn dropped on his head, he thought the sky was falling and soon the whole farmyard was in an uproar. Everything was going to end and doomsday was coming. And friends, as we look around the world and we look in our society and even in our own country and state at this particular time, we, we find that many feel like the, the, the sky is falling. But what does God's word reveal about the future? When we look about our state at this present time and in the recent weeks in New South Wales as they've passed laws in Parliament about abortion, it saddens my heart. I'm anxious for our country when it comes to this. Western Australia is about to do the same thing. Oh, we're a wonderful state, aren't we, here in Victoria? We did it first, you know. And then we find the, the laws being changed constantly after years of fighting over euthanasia. And I can tell you I'm against it. I'm against it because I believe God is sovereign. He's the one that gives life and he takes life. And then we have the, the whole uh, gender bender uh, uh, society that seems to be rising up. And, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, politically correct for us to just embrace anything and everything. And I'm not against people who are homosexual. Our role is to love them and to care for them. But we don't need to embrace 
that which is not of God according to the Scriptures. So there you are. I've declared myself right at the beginning on these things. It concerns me that the world seems to have taken hold of these things and are willing to just twist everything according to what right in my eyes. And doesn't the Scripture say just that? You know, the people will do what seems to be right in their own eyes. As we look around this world today, we could easily feel like the sky is falling. But what does God's Word reveal about the future? Should we be in an uproar? What should our response be to these things that are so impacting our lives? What character should our lives take if Jesus is coming soon? The scripture reminds us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. You know, it's so important, isn't it, that we might do just that? You know, even if we fix our eyes on another Christian, a person next to us, in front of us, or behind us, we'll be let down at some stage. We'll feel like something's not quite right. It's important that we fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to suggest to you four attitudes or thoughts that we might have as we consider these things. Firstly, let's look at a sense of urgency. If we're living in in end times, we need to have a sense that whatever we have to accomplish must be done with an urgency. If Jesus is coming soon, it should have a bearing on our lifestyle. There needs to be an urgency to your witness, to know that neighbour that you've, you've been thinking about witnessing to for years, that person at school, that person in the workplace, that person that somehow you you know that you should share with. You know, as Christians, I think sometimes we feel inadequate, don't we? And we, we think, oh, I don't know what to say. I'm not trained in these areas. We often feel that way. But I, I want to encourage you this morning, as we think about, and I'm delighted to hear that you know, you've got an outreach in the park coming up as a church Uh, open-air meetings. I I used to love doing open-air meetings years ago, you know, and the bonfire and the opportunities to invite other people. We need to think about those divine opportunities. Just recently, Sylvia and I had the privilege of being in Canada. And on our way back from Canada, we had two nights in New York, an amazing trip and Uh, Look, I'm not going to go into all of that at this time. But on the very last day, we're in New York and the travel agent here in Shepparton had arranged for a a, uh, transport from our motel, our hotel to the uh, airport in New York. And uh, the instruction on my sheet that I followed diligently all through the travels that we had was to ring uh, this organisation and confirm that our... um, Transport was going to happen at a certain time that afternoon. So I did ring at at, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, only to find that they had absolutely no record of our booking and they couldn't fit us in. They couldn't get us to the airport. So I, I, uh, I went down to the hotel lobby and talked to the people behind the desk and they were very understanding, very helpful. They said, there's two things that we can suggest to you. One is that you... Uh, get yourself to Penn Station in New York and 
Uh, it's a you know, reasonable work, walk, about 15 minutes. Um, and then you can get a train to the airport and then you can find your way to where you've got to go. And I'm thinking, yes, and we've got two big cases and we've got a couple of backpacks and an extra bag to carry. We have no idea really where we're going. And even when we get to the other end of the station, we don't know how to get off the train. And we're, you know, all that stuff, it's all so different. And he said, the other option is that we do have a contract with a company that will take you to the airport, a car, black car organisation, and uh, they'll take you. It's a, it's a $100 flat rate plus gratuities, and that's one of the things that I found really hard over there. I hadn't deal, dealt with that before. And uh, anyway, I said, let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll pay the $100 and get to the airport. And I'd been praying and asking the Lord throughout our time, you know, just give us the opportunity wherever it is, you know, that divine appointment. We got into the car and, of course, the, the conversation goes something like, you know, you've been on holidays, yes, and uh, you retired, yes, and uh, sort of. Um, and um, then uh, it, the man asks uh, Sylvia first, what, uh, what work did you do before you retired? And she told him a little bit about, about her work and, and um, what she was involved in. And I thought he's going to ask me the same thing. And so I told him that I was involved in ministry in the church and so forth. And then the conversation changed. Now, we had 40 minutes to get to the airport. This man was a uh, Hindu who uh, came from Sri Lanka. And uh, the conversation changed completely. We had 40 minutes of sharing the gospel with this man as he asked questions. Firstly, he... um, wanted to know had I uh, watched the exorcist and was it real and so I had to get past uh, that and explain to him yes I knew about that, that kind of ministry been involved in it many years and uh, yes I believed that this was something that was really and then we went on further to other questions and he said I'm really interested in becoming a Christian he said I know a couple of Christians friends of mine back in Sri Lanka they usually become Christians he said because they tell me that, you know, when you become a Christian, God blesses you and you become rich and that's why they become Christians. And I said, well, hey, you know, that might be so, but it could also be the very opposite. It could be that you can lose everything because of your ministry and your witness with Christ. And I said, regardless, um, it's not the best reason to become a Christian. And then he asked me another question and he said, um, do you or have you ever experienced the presence of God and the peace of God. And I'm thinking, now, how am I going to answer this question? I've got so many minutes left to get to the airport and to tell him. So I told him about a couple of stories that uh, had taken place within my own life about how I'd experienced the presence of God. One of them, a, a very real story here in the car park at Shepparton Hospital years ago when a woman I met uh, just by, well, you could say by accident, as I tried to get into my car in the car park and she was just sitting there with two other people, totally devastated, having just been diagnosed with cancer. She didn't know who I was, I didn't know who she was, but in the conversation I ended up praying with her and, uh, um, and uh, it was one of those times where, you know, the presence of God just fell. I tell you that day in Shepparton, many years ago, 
I had to go home after. I couldn't do anything afterwards. The presence of God was so real in that situation. I found later I had contact with her and with her family. And uh, I ultimately uh, conducted her funeral in the Gambie. And the story of what took place in the car park for that lady had gone all over Australia, I heard, at that funeral. Now, coming back to this man, told him about this story, the presence of God and the peace of God. And we talked about these things. He says, I'm really interested in becoming a Christian. I said, thinking, now, how do I get this message across? I said, I want you to do two things. I said, I want you to find a Christian bookshop in New York. I haven't got a clue where one is, but hopefully you can find one. So get, get a hold of a DVD called Jesus, you know, the Jesus video, we used to call it. Get hold of that and buy a, gospel, a, a copy of the New Testament and read the Gospel of Mark. So we're getting our bags out of the boot of the car and sharing a, a, an email address and, uh, um, and, pray, and he said, will you pray for me? And so we pray for him. Will you pray for me, if you think of it? You know, that divine appointment. That's why I want to share the story. Amazing. We didn't expect that that's what we'd be doing that day. I, I, it cost me $100 to order that car. I said to the travel agent when we came back and we talked about trying to get a refund on the other deal, I said, if I don't get the refund, it'll be the best $100 I've ever spent. You know, if that man comes and we're praying that he will. Divine appointments, brothers and sisters, it's about just sharing what, what's in your heart and what God brings to you in that divine moment. A generation ago in Great Britain, there was a bishop in the church who had a deep sense of longing for the Lord. And Bishop Steve would get up every morning. He'd go to his window and he'd raise the blind and look out and this is what he'd say. Perhaps today, perhaps today, Lord, I will be busy, but I'll be ready. And then at night, Bishop Steed would go to the window again before retiring and he would say, perhaps tonight, Lord, I'll be asleep, but I'll be ready. I will wake up when you come. Is that the way that we live today? This is the day. The Bible teacher F.B. Meyer asked D.L. Moody, you know, the great preacher, what's the secret of your success? Moody said this, he said, for many years I've never given an address without the consciousness that the Lord may come back before I have finished. Is that the way we live? Is that what we think as we move into each day and as we present our before, ourselves before the Lord, asking that he might minister to us in our going out and our coming in, as the scripture says. When we look at the scripture, we find that the, the, the message of God and the plan of God is there from the beginning. And we can think in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We think of Noah, for instance, in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith, the scripture says, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. It had never rained. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and, because, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to the faith. So we find recorded in Hebrews, Noah had a sense of urgency because the rain 
was on his way, on its way. Then we might think of Jonah, again, an Old Testament character, when he finally got his heart straightened out. You remember Jonah, he wanted to go in the opposite direction, but God pulled him back and sent him to Nineveh. He had an eight-word sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There was a time limit, you see, in this instance for Jonah, and every passing day brought judgment closer. Jonah preached with urgency, and we know from the record of Scripture that Nineveh was saved. Can we rejoice in that today? The second attitude that we should pay attention to is a sense of sinfulness. And as we draw closer to Christ's coming, our sense of sinfulness needs to increase, in fact. By that I mean we should sorrow over the sin in our own lives and seek to turn from it, you know. I'm not suggesting that we give credence to the things that God has already forgiven us for. Let's not give credence to the accuser of the brethren as Satan seeks to come and drag us back into those things that we have repented for. No, not that. But where we find ourselves having fallen short of the glory of God, that we might recognise that as sin and name it for what it is. Seek to turn from it. We should groan over sin in our society and, and warn against it, as I spoke earlier, of the things that seem to surround us in high places. It's not popular today. It's not politically correct today. Nor was it in the New Testament times. You know, I believe as the church, the Christian church today in Australia, the time when we can sit back and be comfortable and, and you know, just enjoy our fellowship and our fun and all the good things that we ought to do anyway is over. You know, the time is that we might stand and that we might stand firm and that we might fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him, to be ready to speak for him. We go further on in the scriptures and we think of John the Baptist in Matthew 3. He went out proclaiming, do you remember? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He believed that God was about to do something very soon. Do you believe that? He believed that God was going to do something soon, that the coming of Christ was at hand. He urgently called people to repent, to take sin seriously and to deal with it. You know, those things in our lives that are so deep there, those areas of unforgiveness, we've got people that we've struggled with, people who have hurt us. Can we forgive them? Can we take it to the foot of the cross? Can we leave those things there that there's no stain, that there's no baggage left in the Christian life? For God has promised that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and to forgive us of our sins. Friends, let there not be anything ungodly left in our lives. And when I say that to you, I say it to me. I have to say it first of all, with all sincerity. We think of Isaiah. In right reading Isaiah 6, you clearly see that Isaiah's sense of urgency 
was tied to his sense of sinfulness, remember? He said, I'm found to be undone. You know, the nature of our culture is increasingly sinful. And when I recognise that we are a sinful people in a generation of very sinful people, then we know that Jesus' coming can't be far off. A third attitude that we might address is a sense of longing. What are we longing for in this life? For generations, people have longed for Jesus to return. About 500 years ago, a little over 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote this. He said, I hope that the day is near at hand when the advent of our great God will appear for all things are everywhere, boiling, burning, moving, falling, sinking and groaning. Doesn't it sound familiar as we think of the world that's around? I don't want to be depressing this morning because as I said earlier, we already have the victory. We know what's on the last page. Jesus is coming. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know that place? Have you already claimed it in his name? you know Jesus as Lord this morning? Think of Nicodemus. He was a religious man. A religious man with a deep longing for the Messiah. When Jesus appeared, Nicodemus recognised Jesus and he recognised that if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, he had to have a relationship with him. We can't go on without that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and as Saviour. Think of Zacchaeus. He was a political man. But he so longed for the Messiah that he climbed a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And then, friends, we come to the fourth attitude that I want to address this morning, a sense of exclusiveness. Again, not politically correct in our world or society in which we live today. The world is doing its best to exclude Jesus from the future, from its future. When we were in Canada, I heard from a Christian uh, commentary that the, the Prime Minister of that particular country had actually made a statement that week that Christianity was now our enemy. You know, we went through a time in the 60s and the 70s when those in intellectual places said, this is the time God is dead, he's no longer existent. And then later on in the 80s and the 90s, you know, we said the church is irrelevant. That's what society was saying. Now what's being said, and there's, a, I think, a program on television is tonight or tomorrow night on Current Affair when we're going to be hearing another bashing of the church from, from uh, the media that says that, um, that the church is the enemy. That's the community in which you and I live at this time. Are we in the last days? I ask you. The world's doing its best to exclude Jesus from its future. But when Christ comes back, he will return as the only saviour and the Messiah this world has ever known. We need to live exclusively for Christ and to recognise that his is an exclusive message. As I've already said, we live in a world of pluralism in which people say, hey, look, anybody who wants to get to God can get to him in any way they want. But friends, 
let me tell you this. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. In 1 Kings, in chapter 8, verses 59 and 60, we read these words. And many... And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, the writer says, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other, that there is No other. And then we look at Isaiah. In Isaiah 45 and verses 3 and 5, or 3 to 5, we find these words. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honour. Though you do not acknowledge me, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. The scripture says, I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. Then, of course, we go to the New Testament and those wonderful words of the Lord Jesus Christ as we find them in John's Gospel and in verse 6. Jesus answered saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Are we living in the end times? Yes, we probably are. It looks like we are. World events are threatening on every side. We've got world leaders today. My goodness, what's happening in Britain? Look what's happening in America. Look what's happening in Canada. What's happening in North Korea? We can go on, couldn't we? It's depressing in some respects. Are we living in end times? But history, let me remind you, is his story. And he shall come again soon. Are you looking forward to that great and wonderful day. A tourist in Switzerland visited a beautiful mansion surrounded by well-kept gardens. How long have you been the caretaker here, he asked the gardener. The answer was 20 years. How often does the owner of the property come here? The answer was only four times in the last 20 years. And to think, said the guest, you keep this property in superb condition just as though he might come tomorrow. The caretaker replied, he said, no. I look after these grounds as if I expected him to come today. Are we about looking after the ministry that God has given us, each one of us, as we trust and rely on him, whatever gifts God has bestowed upon you, that we might use them as the body of Christ, that we might use them today for his glory. Billy Graham once wrote, many times when I go to bed at night, I think to myself that before I awaken, Christ may come. Is that the standard that we set in the lives that we live? I ask you this morning, I leave you with a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? 
Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, accepted him as your Lord and Saviour? Are you looking for that time when he'll come again? Because surely he's coming. Are we prepared for the Lord to come today? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? May God bless. We'll just have uh, one more song and then uh, we might join for a cup of tea or coffee and a bit of something to eat um, So, while the music...